welcome to the T Hud Podcast. I'm Moby. And I'm Leland Steele. Just the two of us. <laughs> we can fake it if we try. <laughs> Just the two of us. How you doing today there, Leland? Good, man. Good. Yeah. We, um, so listener, as you've seen on, may or may not have seen, because I believe we get two views for, uh, per Facebook post, uh, <laughs> but we had had a uh, slate of guests. Um, we had four guests slated to take us through the entire summer, even with a couple bonus drops. And the guest today, unfortunately, canceled with about uh, 72 hours notice um, because she decided to go to lunch with, with the pal. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess the moral of the story there, listener, is uh, guest hosts place a priority in our show the same as you do. So, <laughs> <laughs> and the same as Ghost Marty does. <laughs> God rest his soul. Um, so. Yeah. We got it. I think we have a, a good episode. Well, I was already, um, because that guest had a social life and seemed normal, that there's a very good chance she would cancel. Right. It was um, anticipated. So I was already <laughs> building in the back of my mind a backup panic button backup episode. So we threw it together. Uh, it actually wasn't that hard. I think we got a, a couple decent segments to go through um particularly the crazy boat cardboard i'm looking forward to yeah me so too. Me too. um but why don't we jump into banter and uh what have you well, got are we going to banter and then the new segment or are we just going to combine it well you know i would like to see if we could separate it and just how that works out so okay. listener we have an experimental segment that i put together which leland probably rightfully says is very similar to banter it's a segment called Rage or Rejoice, where we're going to pick some topics to either give a mini rant or like a mini pump its tires because it's so good. So Rage or Rejoice. Um, banter, I thought, is a little more free-flowing, but we'll see. If it's too similar, we'll never do Rage or Rejoice again. It'll go the way of the trilogy review. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that trilogy review, I... And this will, again, tie us into, into moving musings, our topic, but um, I thought we could actually renew it with the latest John Wick 3 okay. release, but I didn't realize it's not, I thought it was the last one. I thought it was, I thought it was a trilogy. Yeah, and that's the thing uh, that we'll get into, is right. that movie is by no means an ending film. <laughs> no. That film is like letter k in the encyclopedia britannica <laughs> it's like yeah, halfway cool, right? <laughs> through maybe like 60 percent through Ugh. it's uh it's filler but we'll dive yeah. into that we will in the time yeah. but yeah banter what have you what have you got uh, or, or did you just do rage or rejoice I, I i i mean i have i have three things for rage or rejoice but mm -hmm. i mean I, I could banter um i'm gonna banter about give me a second stall for time i'm gonna banter about uh spider-man far from home okay yeah basically just like i wasn't i didn't think i was hyped for it but i'm suddenly like hyped for it i'm hyped i saw the trailer I, yeah. i'm hyped for the context i'm hyped to see what the world becomes post right. iron man right yeah yeah exactly exactly as uh we didn't we did not denote in our endgame review uh bonus episode but like this is actually the and like the epilogue, if you will, of phase three. Yeah. Which is which I thought was weird, but judging by some of the content in the trailers, I'm actually on board with because it seems like it is a natural wrap up. 
especially the focus a particular character in Endgame got, mm-hmm. right? This is just a continuation of that focus, basically, and the repercussions. So I'm actually getting kind of excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the first Spider-Man film. Um, this one seems to really kind of carry that on, but it's going to be interesting to see what Spidey can do without without his mentor. Right, right, right. So, uh, or And or who's going to step in to be his new one. Oh, that's a good point I never thought about. Yeah. I mean, a la Nick Fury. Yes. Yes, um, who's in that? Oh, yeah. In <laughs> and that actually tangents me into another banter. So they're making another Samuel L. Jackson Shaft movie. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. I was it's going to look it up. Really I forgot. Weird. I forgot to look it up and figure out if it is a reboot of his other one he made like over a decade ago or if it's a continuation it's a continuation it's a, so it's, it's a, a continuation so he has a family now he has like i don't know if I, it's for sure his wife or girlfriend but she's in it and he has a son like okay. a grown-up son so john john shaft got a family he got a family okay so interesting yeah it it is interesting you know when i saw it i'm like is this necessary yeah, or is this like a so rubber weird. stamped unnecessary? Right. And and you know what? I, I feel like Sammy J has, he's like due for a resurgence. And I, I, I mean that only in, in the context of him, like there being a bit of a lapse of Samuel L. Jackson. Right. In the past, you know, six or seven years, I would say, uh, mainly, well, maybe not that long. Mainly because like he hasn't been appearing in the Marvel movies. Yeah, he hasn't. Uh, I mean, aside from this latest slew, like for with Captain Marvel and stuff, like he hasn't. I don't recall him being prominently featured in one since Winter Soldier. No, I can't. So I don't know what he's been doing, but like I haven't seen him around in movies lately. <sighs> no, it's as if he's taken a step back. Yeah, um, he did that Tarantino movie a few years ago, which for some reason I can't remember the name. Oh, Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Yeah. When? How long ago was that one? I think it was like a solid. Four years ago okay, now, I want okay. to say. And maybe, maybe that maybe I'm conflating the lack of Samuel L. Jackson in my mind. I, I think I'm I might be. But it just feels like there's been an absence and like is this a resurgence for him now? Are we gonna see him in a slew of movies again? And it, we're just like re- bringing in the new, uh, you know, recycling old fashioned styles and here we go, Samuel L. Jackson's right back in and is gonna be super mainstream again. No, I hear you. And um I think that uh he certainly was much more prolific. Um before the last few years. Yeah. I would agree with that too. If you were to say like, you know, Moby, does it seem like Samuel Jackson has been in way less films? I'd say, yeah. Right. Yeah. It really does feel that way. It would be interesting pulling up his like IMDb and seeing uh, like the slowdown in, in movie appearances. Maybe he did a bunch of like independent shit. Maybe. Like, you know, maybe. Beghead six, the beginning. Hey, the, be- <laughs> the beginning. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's kind of, it's kind of what I had off the cuff. It'd be cool to see him get, you know, another kind of renewed career. I mean, he's still yeah. a cool guy. He's he's pretty active, pretty now, healthy. Would you want a Nick Fury standalone movie? No. I mean, you no. I, he's it. just, I don't hate his character. I just don't love his character enough to want to see a whole movie about right. him. Right. He but. really is a facilitating character. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, obviously Samuel Jackson can carry his own movies. Sure. But put into that Nick Fury character context, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Yeah. I would lean towards no. Yeah. That I do agree with you that he's a facilitator. And I wish he did pop up in more Marvel movies than the sudden like drought, but 
Well, and we, I mean, we commented, uh, hinted a little bit on, on the the waxing and waning of uh, this this setup through these first MCU phases. The setup, you know, build, 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 build. We hit a peak. Kind of, we really hit the peak with Avengers, obviously, right? And then it started going down, 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 and then down for like a phase and a half. And then by the time we're reaching like Infinity War and Endgame time. Uh, it needs to wrap itself back up to bring it back together. So, so he didn't. It made sense that he wasn't around because he didn't have that role. Because we got a lot of movies that, yeah, they're set in the same universe, but they're not dependent. Uh, it didn't matter if you had seen the last Marvel release compared to the the one that's coming out in like another six months or whatever. Until we got even closer to the end of Phase Three, so he just didn't have a role. Yeah, and, and I guess it makes sense that he he wasn't around. Hmm. Okay. I'll buy that. Uh, my banter, again, I guess is semi-Marvel movie related, but it's just uh, to do with the actor Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, just really weird news. So he's announced that he's launching an initiative called the Footprint Coalition. And what that what the Footprint Coalition aims to do is using nanotechnology and AI is to completely clean the planet Earth of all pollution in the next 10 years. In the next 10 years. In the next 10 years. And he's given no explanation or hint of how he's going to do it. He's gone full Tony Stark. He's gone fully Tony Stark. I've written that. I said, I know he's played a superhero for 10 years, but perhaps he believes it too much. (laughs) Like, to clean the planet Earth in 10 years with nanotechnology, which is like, what, in a lab and AI? Well, you know, they, they do have, like, uh, carbon scrubbing technology and stuff like that but like it is nowhere near uh advanced enough to be able to be implemented on that a global level right like like you can replicate these you know scaled down um situations in like a lab or something and be like okay great here's a here's a tub of co2 yeah, let's put in our sh- our tech and it, it scrubs it but like yeah we're in 10 years I know That's it's crazy. Uh, it is crazy. Maybe it's he very knows, ambitious. Maybe he knows something. Maybe he's got like insider baseball in- info. Maybe like he'll be interviewed in uh, you know five years, and you know ice will be reforming and the world's cooling down. He's like, no, I told you guys, I am Iron Man. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, don't you think I was serious? <laughs> and his, like, and his nano suit just. Yeah, you think you see he's got the pulsating heart. He's like, you guys thought I was acting. That's why it was such a natural performance. (laughs) Okay, I have a question. So, the Footprint Initiative, uh, successful by 2029. What does a, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, easy button to steal from, what is that, Staples? Yeah. The easy button. Hit an easy button on climate change. That is just... Like that, what does that do for humanity's uh, ideals of its consumption? And you know, it's just going to continue to pollute. And then it's like, oh, we just push a button and it's good. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. Well, I think you'd see a lot of polarization. Yeah. I think you'd see people that say, well, no, you know, this technology might fail us at some point. We should still be better stewards of the earth. You know, we're using all this, art, you know, artificial technology just to keep the ship afloat right and then you'll probably see you know the people more on my dad's side who are like you know let's buy a v12 hummer and just burn baby burn (laughs) you know and it's like because because we can sure sure like if we somehow got this second chance like 
history repeats itself for a reason, right? That's a that's the exactly. saying for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll get my new coal powered Honda Civic. Just driving down the street, <laughs> just shoveling coal into a baby. Open the oh, glove box. Man. I don't know. I don't know. That's really funny. That is funny. It'll be interesting to see if people like keep like the media keeps up on it. If he actually is able to get some success. Because it's very, mm. uh, very ambitious what he thinks he can do. Yeah, I, I don't know. So. I mean, ugh, what the hell? What? It, I'm like speechless. I don't, I don't know what to think or re- how to react to that. Because like, how? How? <laughs> like, how? It makes zero I don't know sense. How. He hasn't explained sense. how. He hasn't hinted how. He just said it's <laughs> going to be AI nanotech. Oh man, he's an actor. That at least seems he was. like. Um, it seems that's like that's how you be you start a cult, right? You yes. say, yeah, "I have all the answers. Just come with, take my hand, and I will yes. lead you to them." Like he's good. <laughs> drink this magical glowing Kool Aid. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it shall clean the earth. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's funny. So that one's just from the weird files. So I wanted to bring that. Yeah, up. that's a good one. Um, let's dive into our new segment: Rage or Rejoice. Okay, Rage or Rejoice. Rage or Rejoice. We're raging. Very occasionally rejoicing. Do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, so the first one I want to start with is a rage. And it has to do with just how expensive streaming can get. And I've just noticed it started to piss me off when I looked at my monthly bill of how much all my streaming services cost. It's like it's like um, 60 bucks or something between... YouTube, yeah, cumulative YouTube, Netflix, which I barely use, but I feel like I have to keep it because know, there's right? stuff that's going to come that I'm going to want to watch. But I mean, I think the the well, straw that broke. And sorry to interrupt, yeah. but once once Disney's launches yeah. at the end of this year, add it on, baby, yeah. add it on because yeah. I want to see that new Star Wars show right. from the very beginning. Absolutely. And it, yeah, it's just getting fucking expensive. And then I think what's most ridiculous is I realize I'm paying like twenty two bucks a month. Just to see those five episodes of Chernobyl, which I love. That's funny. Because I had to get like Crave for 12 bucks. Yeah. Then I had to get like an HBO add-on for like five bucks or something like that. And then I had to spend like another six bucks to get the HBO movie add-on to see Chernobyl, which isn't even a movie. It's a five-episode miniseries. Wow. That's weird. So I had to buy a channel in two add-ons, which cost, cost like almost as much as the channel just to get access right. to this miniseries. Right. And I think it's insane. I think it's um, it's very close to a paywall for me mm-hmm. because I don't know if I want to spend 80 bucks a month on a few streaming services. Right. And it pisses me off That's that they're crazy. so expensive and that there's so many add-ons in this case. And I feel like the content is getting more hit and miss as these services more promote uh, their own stuff. I think what's happening is like, for example, you take Netflix. In the beginning, they had some pretty good home runs off of that, like you know, Black Mirror, Stranger Things, um, something no listener would ever agree with me, Fuller House. But it's like they had some compelling stuff. But now I feel like they're just shoveling so much money into all sorts of um, original programming. But most of it's not compelling. Most of it I don't want to watch. You are 100% correct. The Netflix originals, like – 55% of them suck dick. Yeah. Another 10% suck. 20 more percent is okay. And then that last remaining, whatever the math works out to, is like good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even going to try. I don't even know. Yet I agree. <laughs> and That's how math works. And yet we're being charged more and more, like at least, at least one, maybe two price 
changes a year from Netflix yeah. to pay for this original content that we don't even want. That's not good, yeah. The back catalog of stuff like Marvels and Star Wars was originally quite compelling. Yeah. But now they're losing that. And so, you know, I just feel like streaming service in general are so overpriced for what you get. And the aggregate of how they're adding up in my bank statement at the end of the month is really pissing me off now. So, yeah. Well, hence the rage. Well, I mean, I, I, I think we, we've, We've bitched about the countless number of services that there are these days. And yeah, but what do you do about it? You can't like you can't have one conglomerate. That's bad. It is bad. Um, Like you need the free enterprise. And I don't know what you do, but you got to make you just got to you have to decide what you do do and don't watch, I guess. Well, I want to cancel Crave and I still might cancel Crave, but they are going to be hosting the Picard series which i really oh so i'm basically going to knock off i because i don't give a shit about game of thrones i'm not going to keep hbo movie for game of thrones but i'm hoping to knock off the add-ons for crave and just be able to watch the picard but if they hide picard like beyond a couple additional paywalls then i'll be raging again for sure in a banter yeah and there's lots of paywalls even uh outside of these main streaming stuff too like um on uh, the specifically, I just I just just noticed it on the PlayStation Store mm-hmm. uh, on my PS4. I you could you could I think I I don't know if it is buying or if it I, I assume it must be buying, but you could buy all eight seasons of Game of Thrones for two hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents, <laughs> or maybe crap. or maybe it was one ninety nine, but it is a, it was at least like two hundred dollars for eight seasons. Of Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, That's what? insane. What the fuck? What the serious fuck? Nuts. Anybody out there who pays that is a fucking idiot. Absolutely. Or needs to go to therapy because, you know, Westeros oh. is not real. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't deserve man, that money. Man. It's like, it cra- it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, what have you got for your first rage? So movie? speaking of Netflix originals, I wanted to bitch about uh, Snatch. Okay. And uh, Black Mirror Season 5. I don't know Shoot, if you've had I, any a chance to see any of Season 5. I have not, but I've read that they're, that it's reviewed as the poorest of the season. Um, okay, so I'm going to – I'm not going to do – I won't go to any spoilers. No spoilers. I don't know. Have you have you done the Banner Snatch? I have too? not yet okay, done Okay, so Banner I won't Snatch. spoil – no spoilers for either one of those things. Let's start with Banner Snatch. Banner Snatch was ultimately mediocre. Yeah, I would say it's it's mediocre. It just falls. It's it's very ambitious. Um, you know, it's your it's a interactive television choose your own path book, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I I don't I the the idea of it is uh, too far reaching. I think for the current technology and or the time and effort it takes to create such a thing. There's yeah, there's lots of choices you get throughout there, but ultimately a lot of the pathways, they just lead you right back to the same thing with very minor variations. In the particular case of Bandersnatch, I had a problem with it didn't seem like it knew what the fuck it was. Oh. Uh, as in, like, it didn't, you didn't know if it was, depending on the path, I guess, too, uh, you either get, you get, like, you just see a guy that um, is just failing to do what his lifelong dream is. Or is it a guy that is struggling with some type of mental illness? Or is it 
some crazy psychedelic uh, meta mind meld thing that's going on. It's I, I it was so clustered and it was like just a bunch of shit piled on top of each other, in my opinion. And this is, of course, because I went and I went through and I went through and found I, I saw as many of the endings as I could get. And I just was not satisfied with any of them. Right. And the biggest problem, though, I mean, I, I, I can I can get like, yes, I, I consumed the entirety of this multi-complex content that I probably would have been better off served going through it once and then just comparing with, with other people's experiences and not and then like accepting, OK, this is what I got. I'm, I'm good with that. It's really cool hearing the differences what other people got as opposed to trying to experience everything because I'm that type of consumer right right so oh yeah sorry so so the one back i've lost my train of thought the one thing that really annoyed me was just the the um opaqueness of the consequences of the choices you were given ah and yes that you could argue that that is reflective of actually making day-to-day decisions um you know because some of them in that show give you minor uh, like the very first decision is deciding what cereal you want to have in the morning. <laughs> no idea what consequences that has on the rest. I don't know if it's any significance whatsoever or if it's something pulled right from the source material of, of the Bandersnatch book, which I am been told uh, it adhered to very uh, like strictly. Like it was is very it was a great emulation of uh, the Bandersnatch novel, and uh, I think it has a, another title or something, but. I don't know. I just like I was making choices, but like it, there was zero clarity on what choice would lead in what even the direction. Well, I think what you're talking about here, and I completely agree, is kind of a breakdown between behavior and reward. And Bandersnatch, by its nature, by what it is, by you picking choices, the consequences in being able to clearly see the consequences of your action is the reward for making the choice. It doesn't have to be like, it's not like we're after just happy or positive choices. Sometimes you just want to completely fuck with the character, but you have (laughs) to see clearly where these choices are leading. You're not. So you're essentially like a lab rat pulling a lever and no cocaine's coming out (laughs) to to reference classic psychological studies. Right. And so you're like pulling this lever, pull, 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 and nothing's coming out the chute. And it's like, why am I here? I want my Because I can't really see. I want my coke. Yeah. I want my blow. I want But I can't really see where this is going. Yeah. And so... It's it's just not compelling. It's not rewarding. Yeah, it's exactly. Not rewarding. It's not compelling. It doesn't keep you. It doesn't keep you engaged. And then on the flip side of that, you get. I felt like it. It either gave you that first scenario that we just laid out, or you you immediately get those consequences, but they make zero sense in context of the choice you made. It is oh. something so random, to differ it from everything else. Right. Um. So I don't know. Like, what was that? That other one that we um. We didn't talk about it on the podcast, but we watched like forever. Like I think it's called Late Shift or something. Oh yeah, yeah, Late Shift. It's, that is what it's called. Yeah, uh, same thing. Interactive movie. It's I think it was like 2016 or 2017. It came out. I had the same problems with it. Same like same thing. It's just I don't think the technology is there. And then we move on to season five. So season five was only three episodes, only three like hour long episodes. Coming off of a very bulky season four, yes, absolutely. Com- compared to the entirety of this series. And of course, uh, I had been, I was bitching about this with uh, actually Emily um, from the Encourageable Party podcast. And she had, you know, I had said, well, why is this only three episodes? They're clearly running out of material. Like, why is this so short? 
she's like, well, I mean, they obviously took time to do the banner snatch, so you can kind of like almost put those two as far as time at production time, I guess, to put them together. So that may explain why it's only three episodes. But I really do think they're just running out of content. Yeah. They're seriously just running out of content. These three episodes. Wow. Again, no spoilers. Uh, in each. Okay. I like the I like the very last episode, the third episode. And I actually, weird, somehow I ended up watching them out of order. But not that that matters. But the third episode, I, re, I, I did like. Um, it, I, it just like, it made me laugh. I don't know. I I liked um, the actors that were in it. Uh, actually, it stars. Um, man, I don't. What's his name? Uh, the guy who plays Falcon. Oh, um, Anthony Mackie. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. So he's in. He stars in that episode. Uh, co-stars in that episode, and I, I really liked it. The very first episode, it co-stars Miley Cyrus. Yes, I heard of that. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I heard. That. Um, so that episode isn't bad because Miley Cyrus is in it, but it would have been made better had it just been any other actress. Okay. Again, not because of Miley's performance, but the and uh, so a lot of that. First episode story needed to be trimmed, like the fat needed to be trimmed. It was it was drawn out. It was overblown. A lot of, a lot of things in it were really cool, um, but they needed to be condensed. And then the second episode was just your. It was the most boring, straightforward, predictable, mundane fucking story that you could ever write or put down, put pen to paper wow. and produce. Like completely un. Like it didn't offer anything. Wow. The whole point of Black Mirror. Is this social commentary yeah. on what technology is doing to to, to everybody, Absolutely. to, to norm, societal norms? That is getting lost. That was completely lost in season five. They're losing what makes Black Mirror Black Mirror, and then they're just telling us stories that you know maybe in some of the context are worth something, but they're they're not. There's no shock anymore, right? There's no like, whoa, this technology, this the the road that this tech is taking us is crazy overblown. So everything is just kind of drawn back and condensed down a little bit as far as the technolo- technological ramifications. And it just, like, loses some of its luster. I don't well, know. it just sounds to me like the series was already out of gas. We may have not known so. it. And now so. we've got a three-episode drop in which two of the three episodes are either mediocre or stupid. Yeah. And it just, again, and now it's like if we didn't know it was out of gas, now they're telling us it's out of gas. <laughs> exactly. So oh, that's disappointing because I, just, I liked the show. I was a late adopter of the show. Yeah. I liked binging through a bunch of episodes. And I thought season four was really good. Yes. The majority of season yes. four had some really cool episodes in it. Yes. But something has gone wrong. And yeah, I don't know. They're I don't know. just, I don't, I don't know. Who? I'm not sure if they have like uh, a whole bunch of different writers like or like one or two writers that write a singular episode or if it's like a team of writers. I don't, I don't know how they're produced at all. Or I, but... I don't know. They need to. They need something. If they like season six, I'm like, I mean, yeah, I'll watch it, but like, I'm not interested in watching. It. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Wow. Just ultimately disappointing. Black Mirror sucks. Too bad. It's too bad. Listener, steer clear. Uh, my second is a rejoice, and my rejoice is I really like Mark Hamill's Chucky voice based off the trailer that I saw. And I specifically went back to look up clips of the original Chucky, and I'm not trying to offend you, Leland, that whole Brooklyn pizza maker voice of the original Chucky. Like, I, I would have one window open, listen to him say something, then listen to Hamill, and I'm like, is it that much better? I'm like, yes, Hamill is that much better, in my opinion. <laughs> and it's not just because I like Mark Hamill. I found the New York accent distracting and not really as scary, 
But Hamill does Psycho pretty good. Yeah. So well, and and it. So yes, I, I like I at first I did not re- I did not realize Hamill was signed on to the project okay. when I heard of this this remake, and um, even after seeing the very first trailer of it, I still did not know because I don't think it featured any. Is there is there two trailers for it now? There there might be. I and I. Yeah, I, I don't can't know. speak to that, but one did have Hamill. One ha- okay, so that was completely lost on me. Whether or not the the one the singular trailer that I've watched, uh, the very first one, had any, it featured Hamill at all, completely over my head. But now this is a franchise that I hold near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's one of my favorite <laughs> horror yeah. franchises. And that being said, though, even both uh, the original and the remake are in the horror genre, they seem very different tonally. There, there is just. And I think that is just literally just being updated after 20 years. Like yeah. That's just what happens with cinematography. It just takes on this new feel, regardless of the genre or style you are going for. There is just a, there's just a, there's just a difference there, I think. And yeah, I'm actually very excited for, <laughs> for the remake. Yeah. Yeah. I'll gladly see with you. So yeah, I just wanted to rejoice because I, like I said, I really liked his voice for it and I'm looking forward to it. So nice. you're next. I also have a rejoice. Uh, so I recently, recently been in, in a bit of the hotness, uh, is a new board game called Tiny Towns and I did succumb to it and this was one of my limited purchases of this year that I set upon myself in efforts to curb some over expenditures on <laughs> some of my hobbies here. Um, and I, 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 and I picked it up, stupidly overpaid for it, but that's my own damn fault. And I, it's really good. I think it was nice. up to the hype. It's super cool. So you... Everyone has this little, I think it's like a four or a five by five little grid. And you were literally just like constructing a, a tiny town. Oh, that's cool. So um, there's, it comes with a variety of different cards, which correspond to like six or seven, maybe seven or eight different building types. And then you have the little corresponding building, wooden building token, right? That matches the, the different types. And each building type has a power or a way that it scores and generates points which of course most victory points you win but the cool thing about it is on each of those building cards there is a little pattern built uh consisting of you know uh cubed resources arranged in in a in a certain pattern and when it's say if it was my turn i was called the master builder i then name one of these five resources everyone grabs a resource cube from the pool and puts it in any unoccupied space on their board hmm. and we just keep going and then moby would be your turn you name say you name if i name glass boom everyone puts glass somewhere on the board and you name stone everyone puts stone on the board and at the at the end of every after someone has called a resource if any player can build has matched a configuration in any orientation on their board they remove their those cubes take one of those building pieces and put it into any one of those spaces which the cubes occupied so it's like this cool like pattern recognition and like you have to plan ahead and because like some buildings you may need like five or six resource cubes. So you need those unoccupied spaces to build. But then once it's gone, you've now cleared like half your board because you replace those six with one. Right. Oh, cool. It's it's really fun. Yeah, it's super cool. I think it's well, we um, should play it sometime. Yeah, I think you'd really like it. That's cool. Yeah. So I think lives up to the hype. I like it. My final is a rage. And it's a rage because it's about an animated series. Now, how many animated series that are quickly put together to capitalize on a non-animated series property are fantastic? 
Very, very few. I mean, I guess Batman, the animated series, could technically qualify. But the series in question here is the Jurassic Park animated series called Camp Cretaceous. What? And it's like a G-rated, like, animation about six teenagers that go to Camp Cretaceous and, I guess, encounter dinosaurs. But it's like the <laughs> like most... friendly encounters. I'm guessing. I'm guessing they probably <laughs> pet them. I don't know what else happened. As soon as I read the name Camp Cretaceous, I yeah. was like, no! Yeah. It sounds like it's very clearly marketable to children and possibly will is one of those shows that was used as a learning tool. Yes. Yes. But that's and fine. It's, it's What's ne- wrong with it's that? It's Netflix exclusive. I don't know. It's just not I, for us. It's for Netflix kids. You know what? I want to give it a watch just to see what it's like. But just the, just the fact that it's animation, it's teens, it's like not going to be violent and its name is Camp Cretaceous. I was just like, <laughs> no. When I saw that, I was shaking my fist. I was okay. like, how dare you? Because you, you want something else. Yeah, I want I want like the original. I want guts. I want gore. I want the lawyer being eaten off a, a toilet. An R, depending on the style, an R-rated Jurassic Park animated series could be very okay. Yes, very cool. That would be a different scenario. <laughs> that would be a different scenario. <laughs> that could be awesome, especially if it's millennials being eaten. Then I'm on board. <laughs> okay, so I went a tangent on this. Speaking of animated series, so what are your thoughts on the Magic: The Gathering and upcoming animated series? Have you had? <sighs> I mean, I, I don't think there have been I, any details released, no, but what are your thoughts on it existing? There's, I mean, I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. There's potential. It's a very rich property that has like, you know, 25 plus years. Right. It's got loads of characters, realms. There's a lot you can do with it. I think one of the first things that enters my mind is how can you make it feel like Magic the Gathering? Right. You would have to. I think you have to go from the perspective that it's this world with mages that have different um, specialities in what they can conjure. Mm-hmm. And so that they're they're basically summoning creatures and spells of certain types to battle one another okay. and the world's at war. Hmm. I think that's the only angle that makes sense to me. Okay. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I highly doubt that that is how they're going to do it. So this has a very, like, talented backing. As far as producers and writers and showrunners, I mean, the Russo's are, Russo brothers are signed on for mm-hmm. it. They got a few writers from Star Wars Rebels, which is, you know, critically acclaimed animated Star Wars series. Um, I've heard that Rebels is a little on the kiddie side, but still catering enough where, like, young, uh, adults could, could enjoy it. Haven't seen it myself. So, I undoubtedly think that, especially considering the current... Uh, story arc that is occurring within the Magic the Gathering universe uh, as far as set releases for the cards. It's just going to be focusing on these Planeswalkers. So people that know the Planeswalkers are going to get the most out of it because Mm. they're going to see them depicted on screen. Now, I will say though, uh, I can completely get on board for that if they're going to tell us the story of the War of the Spark. Which, to me, is very interesting. One, because I really like Nicol Bolas. Yeah. Yeah, he's cool. He's so cool. But over the last uh, few sets in Magic, Bolas has been behind the scenes pulling all of these strings and arranging the War for the Spark, basically. So he's, you know, he sent some of his other his, uh, followers to get, uh, you know, like this planar bridge he stole. Um, he stole this other artifact that can, like, lock down planeswalkers. So he stole, like, the only way these planes, because, you know, planeswalkers, they walk planes. They just, like, shift. They plane shift, basically, right? He, like... 
there's something happened and everyone got depowered and Bullis got pissed. Uh, so he wants his power back. And the way he's going to, the way he, he can do that is to steal the power from all these planeswalkers. So he, you know, built himself up about this being this badass nemesis that everyone needs to come and join forces and take down. And he, they all came to the city where he was known to be. He trapped them there. Nice. Uh, took away their so so they they can't get out of this city or whatever they're fighting in and now he's trapped them all here he has the planar bridge so he could leave anytime he wants <laughs> so wow. it's really fucking cool That's like cool i would love to see that on screen i mean have you have you seen um like the trailers they put out for like the new sets and stuff no like holy shit man those i i will watch that movie like wow that and like you know like blizzard when blizzard does like their world of warcraft stuff like the trailers are crazy, and like I would want to watch that animated movie. I want that bear that someone sent me. I don't know if that that bear is <laughs> going to star in the show. There's a bear card now that is mint. It like pumps up all of. Oh bears. yeah, yeah. It's probably cost <laughs> fifteen bucks a card because there's so many fucking bears over the years. But I, you know what? People have been begging for a bear decks, bear lords, bear tribe deck that works for oh, forever. Man. Actually, there's a lot of tribal support in this latest set. Um, a lot of goblin stuff. Nice. Uh, actually, quite a, like a weirdly amount of bear stuff. Like, there's another like enchantment that again we're tangenting really hard here. But there's like another enchantment that like uh, you can create bear tokens, and then that other card like triggers whenever a bear enters the battlefield. It gets it gets plus one plus one counters. Nice. Like bears are viable. <laughs> bears are breeding. Bears are bears are breeding. That's cool. Wow. Okay. I don't. All know. right. So okay, my last is. This is a mixture of rage and rejoice. It okay. is a rejoice for um, how how good the good place is, but a rage, uh, a sad rage that I think it was just yesterday, as of June seventh. Um, Michael Schur, the one of the showrunners, tweeted out that season four will be the last play, the last season of the good place, mm. and I think season three uh, is either wrapping up or just finished airing. So I'm waiting for it to come on Netflix to watch it, as I don't have cable. But um, he had mentioned in his tweet that as soon as uh, the Good Place got greenlit for season two, they, they all the like the the writing team, they all kind of sat down and they mapped up where they wanted uh, the series to go, and they they settled upon okay, we think we have a a well told and final like a story with finality by the end of season four. That is incredibly rare. Like that yeah, doesn't happen. Exactly. That does no, not we'll happen. keep it going. Keep the yeah, money rolling in. Yeah. We'll do nine seasons. That shit just does not happen. And and I really think that the love for the show itself is reflected in the quality of the show. Right. Like it just it's 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 just easy to define correlation, right? Bittersweet, but I think yeah. that's more rejoice in that I think so too. You know, the show is gonna end, yeah, but it's gonna end probably with quality because they mapped out just those four seasons. Absolutely. So that's cool. All right, well that ties up the segment. So that was reasonably fun, but you're right, it did mostly feel like banter yeah, with a bit that's of okay. I like new it. icing. So maybe maybe we'll do it in the future. Well, our banter always runs long. And it never feels like we get to banter enough. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. So that was kind of cool by forcing forcing us to banter about some cool shit. So Yeah. Uh, but hey, why don't you take All right, away let's move on to crazy about cardboard. And which we're going to be talking about, uh, which a lot of people are talking about right now, is the, the U.S. tariffs that have been imposed upon Chinese 
goods. So there's been, you know, a few articles out here. Uh, in particular, we're kind of almost reacting or, or responding to this uh, Polygon article that was written by Mike Selinker, who's mm-hmm. a, a fairly prolific uh, tabletop games developer. A lot of people will know his name. And yeah, and he kind of wrote this article with a very clickbaity title that's, yes. you know, foretelling the destruction of the board game industry due to these these tariffs. And I think I just want to start with some some info. I, mean, I know yeah, Moby, no, no, you have absolutely. lots of... So these tariffs, in addition to the board games, affect a whole lot of fucking things. Uh, like coffee, spinach, laptops, video games and video game consoles as well, which we really won't really be touching on. Uh, but that's a whole other conversation we can have. Maybe an easier conversation is how, how that mm. market is impacted. Yeah. But basically, I just wanted to lay out what exactly a tariff is for the listener in case they are unclear. Tariff is a tax that's levied on a specific class of goods that is being imported or exported into a country based on that goods harmonized tariff schedule. And uh, so HST and HST is how every single good ever has an HST because you need that for any amount of paper, any paperwork that you create for anything leaving or entering a country needs an HST attached to it. And also in relation to that, HST is a percentage which is denotes the tariff that the tariff percentage that's that's what it is that denotes the uh, amount of extra dollars that need to be paid upon uh, these goods entering uh, a country so more simply put tariff applies when goods move from one customs area to another uh, again broken into either import or export Uh, a lot of people use tariffs and duties interchangeably uh, mostly correctly but there are some distinctions Duties are broken into two things. Again, customs duties, which a lot of everyone's familiar with customs duties, right? You, you, a Canadian orders something from U.S. and needs a transit border. There is a duty tax, a duty that they must be paid. So the duty basically refers to the amount of money that is paid based on that HST percentage, which is the tariff. There's another type of duty called excise duties, which we won't be talking about here that don't really apply. But the main difference between excise duties is that they uh, do not need something to it's not it's not related to customs it's uh applied domestically and they are actually applied to goods at at manufacture as opposed to at import like uh, custom duty or tariff and that duty is mostly applied to like things like gasoline and tobacco and alcohol uh also like colloquial known as like a sin tax Mm, i'm sure yes you've heard of that right Okay, and I also actually I looked into and I I will put all of these links from all the documents that I I've scoured through quite a bit of documentation. Um, all links will be in the show notes. And I because I was interested in like why is why is the U.S. why is President Trump levying these tariffs against China? Like why what's now? So back in August of 2017, the United States Trade Representative or the USTR they initiated uh, initiated an investigation into certain acts, policies, and practices of the Chinese government in regards to technology transfer, intellectual property, and innovation, uh, all of which are very important elements to China's strategy to become the leader in the number of these technologies as part of their Made in China 2025 uh, industrial plan that they have. I guess they want to bump up their own industrial economy and they want uh, almost what seems to be like a conglomeration of all these intellectual properties and technology advancements so this investigation basically there's four main points that 
were covered in this investigation. Uh, one, the Chinese government, uh, allegedly the Chinese government used a variety, variety of tools to regulate or intervene in U.S. companies' operations in China, um, like OPEG and discretionary administrative processes, uh, joint venture requirements, foreign equity limitations, again, all in efforts to pressure or require the acquisition of intellectual properties and the transfer of technologies to Chinese companies, making them seem more suitable and the better route. Uh, number two, the Chinese government's acts and policies deprive U.S. companies of the ability to um, meet market-based terms for licensing and tech-based negotiations with Chinese companies, basically effectively undermining the U.S. companies' control over their own technology within China, all of which are in defiance of the regulations on technology import and export administration. Number three, the Chinese government unfairly facilitates the systematic acquisition and investment in U.S. companies' assets by Chinese companies to monopolize the cutting-edge technology, the IP procurement, and uh, large-scale technology transfers in sectors that are like are deemed important by the Chinese government for their made in 2025 plan. And finally, the fourth one, which is probably the biggest one, but again, something that's super common, to uncover any truth behind uh, the Chinese government supporting cyber-enabled theft of U.S. intellectual properties, unauthorized intrusions into U.S. commercial computer networks in efforts to harm U.S. companies and or provide Chinese companies and commercial sectors within China a competitive advantage. So there's... <laughs> and So I, I read through quite a bit of the final report and all of the, the findings. And it's like 275 pages. So wow. it will be... Again, it will be linked in the show notes. If everyone... <laughs> has any interest to go through it. I actually did find a lot of it quite interesting. But basically, it's filled with like firsthand witness statements, written submissions, public reports, journal articles, all from supposedly reputable sources. But ultimately, the final conclusion of the report seems to be, yeah, the USCR sees this shit as important. It probably needs more investigation. Uh, and, you know, more heavy-handed countermeasures could could be employed. Uh, <laughs> So, again, there's 275-page report. There is a lot of evidence, obviously, through uh, for each point. But to summarize some of it what I, that I read through, like for the first point, you know, evidence found that many of China's technology transfer policies and practices have become more implicit, uh, often carried out through verbal instructions only and, you know, quote-unquote, behind closed doors. Number two, testimonials from dealings with the Chinese government include non-market-based tech agreements. Meaning they, you know, they don't meet <laughs> the the contracts that are being written up and drafted up are nowhere near acceptable market relations. Again, they li limit and also in uh, some cases they limit those contracts to like a decade. Mm. But once that contract expires, the Chinese company in that agreement gets uh, rights to use the tech in, in perpetuity. That's crazy. Which is crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so to the third point. The European Chamber of Commerce in China states that uh, in 2015 and 2016, there was like this unprecedented wave of outbound investments in Europe and other countries in industries that relate to the Made in China 2025 initiative. Many of these, uh, these invest investments have been in places where European business is just unable to make equivalent investments like back into China. Uh, but they also give Chinese firms access to tech uh, brands, management expertise that they wouldn't 
otherwise hmm. uh, be able to acquire. Like even in some cases, entire supply chains uh, uh, in some related industries. And then uh, as of to the cyber cyber terror, would you call it cyber terrorism? Does that is that fall under cyber terrorism? I don't know. Nowhere in these documents does it say cyber terrorism, but cybersecurity. I don't yeah. Know. Well, in um, in so in September of 2015, the U.S. and the China and Chinese governments they both kind of made this commitment. You know, they exchanged promise rings and they made this commitment to refrain from employing cyber-enabled theft of IPs and other confidential business information. But two years later, in 2017, the U.S. Department of Justice filed an indictment against Chinese nationals for intruding on U.S. commercial networks. Again, all like lots of documentation of proof, um, lots of proof for the majority, a lot of proof uh, of cyber uh, theft before that 2015 agreement came in, but they did have a, a, a bit that showed that, yeah, the, the Chinese government is still employing these tactics to try to get a foothold. Right. So that's, again, all of this information is just what is spurring on these these tariffs. Tariffs that, I don't know, I had read in one place, like, could, you know, quote unquote, recoup. I don't think recoup is the right word, but t- uh, bring in like $300 billion wow. in these tariffs. Like, there's like literally like thousands of hsd codes that are affected by this like the list is like longer than this fucking 275 page report like it's insane it's crazy hmm wow good background there Um, you go again all links in the show notes if you're interested see what's interesting about your background is um it gives some information on why these tariffs were put into place and what from china's end triggered uh these tariffs and i think that's a problem that mike uh, Selinker, who made the article, wrote the article. He doesn't. He doesn't put any of that background in. Right. All he does is say, you know, America's bad, America's evil. Trump especially is evil for putting these tariffs in. He does no explanation of why. He doesn't bring up anything to do with IP theft, anything to do with these skewed agreements you just brought up. And I just feel like he's very biased and very one sided. In his article, I I I certainly agree with that. Yes, reading um, through the I mean, he's you know supports. He provides a lot of documentation throughout the article himself. But yeah, you're right. It basically is again. It's anything that comes out of Trump's mouth because the way he says things, the way he handles himself, the way the bravado. Yeah, all this shit that we don't need to get into, but is still you know you still kind of need to mention because it's all context but yeah there, there's a lot of context to why these tariffs really uh according to this report should be imposed because exactly. a lot of a lot of shit is is really going on exactly. between us and china and i think there's a couple things at play here i think mike in his article i mean number one i feel like he unnecessarily goes at least in one paragraph he just attacks trump as a person that he doesn't like, unrelated to the tariffs. Hmm. So he uses a small part of his article as basically a sounding board for his political bias. And why that's important is because it shows that it, it shows that he's kind of out against the Trump administration no matter what. But I also think that he's laser focused on just tariffs equal increased price of board games. By about 20% is what I got, about from $80 to $100 is what I think he used right. as an example. I, again, I think the I, – I could not find anywhere um, that had stated a hard percentage yes. that was set. I think it will range from anywhere between 5 and 25%. Right. Again, also that depends on the HST, but of course we are strictly talking about 
Uh, tabletop games, right? Tabletop now. games, right. exactly. And he uses that increase as to say that you know not all board gamers are going to pay that extra twenty bucks or twenty percent right. on average, and the industry is going to falter. Personally, I don't know about that. If there's a very good board game that I want and the price was a hundred dollars versus eighty, I I think I'd still go for it. I mean, when you're at that level of price already, you look at Twilight Imperium 4, which is much more, you know, would I spend an extra 30, 40 bucks on that if I really wanted that game? I would say, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Well, um, so another thing about these tariffs, which uh, Mr. Selinker does properly align, of course, in his article, but like, that's not like a percent, it's not like 25% on the MSRP, that's the production cost. So, you know, it's not... It at, at, you look at a single unit, it is like oh okay, it's like an extra like five bucks. But then of course you need to employ that across a whole print run, and that all of those costs are on the creator. So I, I get what you're saying though. So st- specifically speaking about U.S. market and the numerous amount of online uh, game stores that offer like significantly discounted prices compared to msrp of these games i think there's uh as far as that side of the consumerism there's a lot of wiggle room for people to be adding like a five or ten bucks on to their online prices yes right in canada we always get the shit out of that stick anyways that's right that's a good point yeah so there's a a little bit of a different perspective at least from on my part anyways um but really what is going to suffer. I think Kickstarter is going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like, yes, yeah, smaller companies and independent creators will suffer. They just, it just it, like, that's just what it, they will suffer. I mean, yeah, even, even a 5% increase like that, it's still cut. It cuts into profit margins. And yeah, people say, Oh, if you're, you're creating games in the tabletop industry, then you shouldn't be expecting to be to those. Pro- shouldn't be expecting profit margins. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I think is, a ridiculous statement for one thing mm-hmm. yes a lot of this hobby is predominantly passion projects but clearly there are companies that have been able to build themselves up and be able to make themselves profitable to continue funding these passion projects you still gotta make a buck <laughs> yeah so yeah so yes i think kickstarter is, is going to be hurt um there's a lot of uh there's a, i found a case of a few kickstarters that have already wrapped and are in production and will have been produced under you know, a certain quote that they've been given from mm. these factories uh, that excluded these tariff increases built into their prices. Right. Uh, but lots of creators like uh, Vesuvius Media on their Nocturian K- uh, Kickstarter, a guy named Arn Lorenz on full, uh, successfully funded a game called Era of Tribes. They've been reaching out to their backers in their updates saying, you know what, like, don't worry. Like, yes, this falls on us uh, because it does. They're going to, they need to pay those costs upon their goods landing uh onto the u.s border or the canadian border or i guess in the u.s the u.s border yeah so i I don't know but maybe we'll maybe maybe this is what kickstarter needs to rein shit in that was my thought exactly because what we're getting right now or or pre-tariff um and the article alludes to the chinese manufacturers all trying to undercut each other well when you do that you do also get less and less quality worse and worse service i mean because they're not making as much money off these games. They don't have as much resources. And how many times have we run into new board game developers 
who don't know how to deal with quote unquote manufacturer and manufacturers communication is bad substandard game pieces taking too long to print printing errors all these things which mike doesn't bring up in his article i mean he basically in my mind he proposes that like the chinese board game manufacturing industry is just this like magical industry that does it as well but cheaper like he doesn't bring any flaws whatsoever in how cheaper chinese game manufacturing compares to the one or two big u.s based companies he talks about at the beginning of his article which print great games and are very good, he says, for long production runs. Quality is an important part of this. And that's one of my criticisms of Selinker's article, is that he doesn't at all even touch on quality. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I actually didn't, uh, I didn't really think of that all that much. But like, there's a, a, a select handful of Chinese manufacturers that are are like known in the industry and known by publishers and developers that like these people know what they're doing, mm. we're going to use them. Uh, right. Like uh, Panda Manufacturing or Panda Games Manufacturing. Countless publishers use them because they have a great track record and they right. know what they're doing and they right. know they know that they they can communicate with them. I think they have uh, like a U.S. office even for interrelation interrelations and stuff like that. Well, look at uh, the fucking Evil Dead Two board game. Yeah, <laughs> like the manufacturer shit that they went through. I can't even remember what studio they what. Uh, I can't remember either because I don't think they mentioned it, or at least they I really think tried they to did. Hide it. Because the, I don't know what I, if I recall correctly, I'd have to listen back to the episode, of course. But I believe they switched to Panda Manufacturing. Oh, okay. Or okay. they switched to a better known uh, because their original original factory didn't know how to make minis or something. Yeah, or, it was, or was crazy. outsourcing mini like. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think it was outsourcing that rings yeah, a bell. Yeah, that rings a bell. And I've seen, um, I've seen some other uh, like uh, European-based Kickstarters in, in some of the comments saying like uh, t- talking about these tariffs, and people are like, "Well, who gives a shit about U.S. tariffs? We're, you're based in in Europe. Well, who gives a shit?" Um, and unfortunately, you can't really think like that because that cost, that extra cost, needs to be factored into the entire print run right you can't just you can't put aside okay we're gonna have a u.s pledge level uh here's a canadian pledge level here's a a uk pledge level here's an australian pledge pledge level like no that just you just that's not happening i mean that's also part of the reason why uh the trend nowadays is part of that original pledge does not include shipping yet you pay shipping after the fact right because People were losing too much money on shipping because they couldn't estimate it properly. Yeah. Especially like Australian backers. Like shipping to Australia is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So so it, it's, it doesn't matter where you live. Like it doesn't matter that we're in Canada. Uh, that, that added cost needs to get factored and do everything. No. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, one thing I do agree with Selinker is he talks about, you know, like a uh, – People that say it's a good thing that these tariffs exist is that it'll weed out all these bad, you know, very small scale board game developers that don't know what the hell they're doing. And But he also says, well, it's like dropping a hydrogen bomb on just like a general group of people because you're also going to wipe out, you know, promising young good board game developers, but they also don't have the money to get past the tariffs. Right. So I did agree with him on that, that it, it was so indiscriminate, it'll knock out the good and the bad. Yeah. 
I've also uh, had seen some tweets about indie role-playing games as well mm. and how a lot of like smaller independent RPG produced, like they're just going to get wiped out. Right. Because yeah, you could try to try, try to switch to like PDF sales, but again, this is all just like anecdotal tweets I've been reading. Apparently, you know, right. like the PDF sales just can't support, can't support a company, P, you know, PDF yeah. sales alone can't, can't support a company. Well, and I, <sighs> There's one topic he doesn't address, and it may be completely unfeasible, but traditionally when there's been a vacuum in the market, like what may end up occurring due to these tariffs, that someone else steps up. So whether that's a new local manufacturer in the U.S., whether that's European-based manufacturing, whether it's manufacturing in Canada, for all I know. But he doesn't bring up any possibility of like a new startup existing to, to fill this void and do these small print runs. In North America. Right. I think that should have been at least addressed in his article, whether yeah. or not he thought that was feasible, but mm-hmm. he doesn't touch on that. Yeah. And again, I mean, we have zero numbers to even really fully comment at all on whether or not right. that could be feasible. But I think that's a good point. Like you said, it does create a vacuum. I mean, like the, I remember uh, Stronghold Games, the very first uh, print runs of Terraforming Mars, which has, has since become like an evergreen title for them. That game will always be in print because it always sells. It was originally printed in U.S. and that was one of the big things. Like, mm. hey, we were, I think it was in Indianapolis they found a printer or something. And, which is why it came with such a higher price tag. I mean, I paid, right. I paid $80 for my copy of Terraforming Mars, which is a lot for what's in that box. And I've bitched about that before. I mean, it's a great game and you can easily get your money's worth out of that. Right. But if that game was of lesser quality, I'd be pissed. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you had any more thoughts to wrap up, but I did kind of have a, a couple predictions. No, I got nothing. So okay. let's end with your so prediction. I have like worst case scenario impact predictions, like full 25 hydrogen tariffs, bomb. full hydrogen bomb, people dying, everything. <laughs> so board games, uh, publishers, they start uh, adapting and leaning into the already prevalent implementation of tech into their tabletop games you know manufacturing fewer and fewer physical components in favor of digital implementations yeah uh and then there you know that line between whether or not this is a full app game and an actual tabletop game is gonna get could get very blurred i think that like there may even be like a totally new market a totally new classification of these hybrid (laughs) interesting (laughs) like i i don't know i don't know um second i had was uh smaller publishers uh instead of developing physical games they would instead develop app implementations of their designs and you know like game apps that are not just like relegated to the conglomerate that is asmodee digital asmodee in you know the last five or so years was buying up a lot of companies they've switched since been switched hands to this like investment firm now and that's slowed on their acquisition of these smaller companies, but they're still like a huge umbrella of things. And they have a, a lot of uh, great app implementations on their Asmodee digital line. But I think like maybe that's the like, oh, this game, we really want to get out there, but this is the only way we can do it. Mm. Mm. Interesting. And then my uh, my third one I had here. Uh, so on the basically on the opposite spectrum of that, uh, of the first point. Your average game will become super flashy with crazy upgraded components. Like that's going to be the norm. 
Whoa. In an effort to justify, quote unquote, the inflated tariff costs and increase those profit margins uh, back ah. to what they once were or maybe even higher. Ah, I see. Super I see. upgraded, like $100, $120 MSRP price tag, but like crazy ridiculous components that somehow can still be fit into making a decent profit margin, but look like they're they're really pricey. You know what? And maybe 10, 15 years ago, that might not be feasible. But with the golden age of board games right yeah. now, people are willing to spend. They they're are. willing to spend already. They absolutely And are. maybe that means they buy fewer games, but but the games they do buy are these deluxe editions. Yeah. Because those higher quality components and more components I know have always appealed to the hardcore board. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like uh, Tasty Minstrel Games, every Kickstarter they do, they have a, they always have a, a, a tier of backing, which is their deluxe white version. And they're always gorgeous. Like, be- like, be- like, I have a copy of Yokohama that is not a deluxe version. I don't even want to put that fucking thing on the table because the deluxe version is so much nicer. Wow. Oh, like, so, I yeah, I don't know. That, there's a way. Increase your profit margins. Give us better components. Still, yeah. still produce on the cheap, but... I think that's creative. I, I think that one of those two things could happen. I think they're both very feasible. Yeah. Yet very opposite. And I think they both still fit into the market. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. All right, listener. Well, I guess we'll see where this goes. Uh, I mean, it'll probably take some time to see the industry adapt to this. Right. But it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next year or two. Yeah, and I think um, I had read, you know, the dates are all over the place, I think. But I think I had seen the, the latest date was the implementation of these these tariffs of June 24th. Right, I think, right. I Mid-tend of June is what yeah. I saw. Yeah, All right, well, all right. that's it for Crazy About Cardboard. Well, now it's time for Movie Musings. It's not the wick, it's how you use it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to review John Wick 3, which uh, Leland and I saw last week. Uh, we did have a particularly ghost uh, sitting with us in yeah. this theater. Very chilling. Very chilling. It was chilly. But uh, yeah, this ghost, uh, he he experienced it with us, but he's not here today. Um, so John Wick 3. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, Leland, why don't you lead us off with... Are we going to dive into spoilers? Or are we going to go non-spoilery to start, or or can there even really be spoilers for this film? Well, I think it's just going to let's just go full spoiler, okay, okay? Because there is not enough to break it up, really. Right, I would agree um, with that. Okay, so full so full, full spoilers. spoilers. Uh, let's start with general thoughts, Leland. Okay, the this is uh, the worst in the series so far. I would agree by a significant margin, I'd say. A, a non-tariffed profit margin of uh, severity <laughs> in the quality dip, I think. Mm. <laughs> and it was a mediocre film. Right. Yeah. Very mediocre. Yep. It is uh, well on its way. The franchise is well on its way to jumping the shark. It, it, it no longer feels that, you know, that gritty and realistic and believable, uh, despite uh, some of the overtop action scenes that were, we were seeing in... Uh, the first two installments. It's just like, it's like you're just watching, you're watching a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. I actually feel the exact same. I was disappointed with how much it feels like filler. It feels like the middle bun on a Big Mac. You know, it's just kind of there. <laughs> and if you really think hard about it, you'll notice its existence. Right. But normally you're just like, you just pass it through to get to the meat on yeah. either side. Uh this is a third film, as we alluded to in the beginning of this show. 
but it is not at all a conclusionary episode. It is, it it's actually, John Wick goes through very little development of his character and his story. I mean, essentially what happens is, you know, he's being excommunicated. There's a bounty on his head. He basically fights a few guys, flights, uh, flies to, I think, Morocco somehow. Uh, meet Tally Berry's character. She's kind of cool. Her dogs are cooler that fight with her. <laughs> and that was, you know, a good set piece action scene. And so it's basically, okay, fights off a few guys, goes to Morocco, has another fight, wanders the desert randomly in one of the <laughs> stupidest McGovern devices that we've ever seen in a movie. I mean, we'll jump into that as because that's one of my big criticisms. But then he finds a guy who's one of the leaders of the head table. Guy accepts him back as long as he swears fealty to the head table. Yeah. We have an unnecessarily long climactic battle scene yeah. in a glass room. Um, and then <laughs> yep. really the only the only plot development that happens is at the very, very end, the very last scene where John Wick is with the Barony King and he's, you know, like, John Wick, are you pissed? Like, are you pissed at the head table and, you know, this whole system that you've been part of? And he's like, yes, I'm pissed. And then it ends. So basically meaning that in the next film, he's going to go against the high table. Right. But that's it. That's yeah. the whole movie in yeah. a nutshell. Parabellum set up John Wick 4 to be a revenge film. Yes. Which is the shtick of the entire franchise. Yes. So we got a lot. We got all this set up for a premise that we're already in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just a slightly different people to conduct revenge against. Yeah. yeah. That was a good yeah. summation of the movie. That was good. Um, yeah. I mean, like it picked up right where two left off. Uh, right. Pretty much. He's got that hour before he starts getting hunted. The beginning of the movie was really good. Yes, I agree. What what I liked is that it didn't just jump into him having this excommunicado. What I liked and found was tense was that very beginning when he's running. And he's like running past assassins that are like, you've got 15 minutes. Yeah. That was tense. And it was cool to see how many assassins there were. Oh, like, yeah. We did get a – okay. So like like the universe just got like blown up. Right. Basically. Like ex exponentially expanded, uh, which was cool. Again, I think that may uh, be part of why the believability of the operation of the, you know, the hotel and this Assassin's Guild or whatever the fuck they call it is becoming more and more unrealistic as unrealistic as the premise already is. Right. How many assassins does New York need? There's like yeah. one on every street corner. How, yeah. How many people need to die? <laughs> it's, uh, like, are these like just basically these Chinese factories that are trying to undercut everybody? <laughs> like, yeah. like there's, there's, there's so many. It's it's crazy, but uh, we had a lot of some really cool beginning fights. Yeah, uh, the the library fight was cool, and you're right. There 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 we did get that tenseness. I almost, yeah, I guess you couldn't really draw out that hour into much more than what they no, showed. No, they they drew it out enough. Yeah, yeah. In the beginning fights, I felt were the best fights. Um, I did like the library fight. I the knife fight was brutal. I liked that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. It was just so brutal. Knife sticking into people, being ripped out of people and thrown into a and different person. That um looked like it was 
mostly a continuous shot. Yes, too. it did. It did. And it's nice to see. That's something I like about John Wick. It's nice to see all the action on screen yeah. and to actually see it instead of just, you know, quick cuts to blind the audience of what the action actually is. Right. So that was good. I mean, that was one of the pros of the movie. I just felt the movie, frankly, just went downhill and pretty much like a linear slide. Um, it really did. You know, I guess the fight with with uh, Halle Berry was pretty cool. It's interesting because she's not in the whole film. She's only in the second act. Mm-hmm. And then she enters and exits. And I felt like the trailers pumped her up like she'd be his partner through most of the movie. Mm. But that's not accurate. Um, I felt the fight with her and her dogs went on slightly too long. It was too yeah. long, yes. We had uh, we had like three too many shots of her dogs yeah. jumping at a dude and biting their chest. Exactly. That was literally all of all that they did. Um, I think one made me grab an arm one time. Yeah. Uh, it w- it was cool how they just like continued to attack the dead bodies after yeah like, until either she summoned John them or to Hallie like popped them in the man. head yeah you know that yeah and, well, so the problem with that though is like compared to the first part uh, which I guess the first act of the movie right um, that fight scene was not a continuous shot no it had jump cuts mm-hmm. and compared to that first part of the movie it was a little more jarring and probably why it felt like it was a little too long right. I think. I felt so too. Let, let's let's roll into that plot device because I really want to rant about that or hear you rant about that. Okay. Just the blatant stupidity of how he finds the head okay, table. Okay, yeah. Well, first though, I want to say okay. so. John, they go and John goes to Hallie's character to so because she has a contact to this dude that is higher up or whatever that knows where to find what do they call the ancient one? I don't even know what the fuck they call them. Yeah, this guy who is from a, the head table who is apparently above the table. He right. sits above the table. This mystical man. He's this crazy desert magic man. But anyways, they go first. They go to see this guy that Hallie knows, and it's the care. I don't know what the actor's name. Braun from Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I commented leaving spoilers for season eight of Game of Thrones. But I commented to Marty. I'm like, oh, John Wick three predicted that Braun becomes master of coin <laughs> because <laughs> anyone familiar with Game of Thrones should find that funny. Because in John Wick, Braun plays a dude that had crafted the first gold coin. That's right. And the first, like, uh, favor ticker that they have the blood thumbprints in. So, like, he, like, runs the money. <laughs> and uh, in the final in the final uh, episode of Season 8 of Game of Thrones, they make Braun's character, who is named Braun in Game of Thrones, the master of coin. <laughs> right. So he runs all the finances of Westeros. Oh, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> That's so ironic. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. I that was fun. Um, but yes, okay. On to the desert. So Hallie drops John off in the desert <laughs> with some regurgitated water. John gets picked up. He wanders until he collapses. Gets picked up by a dude on a camel. What? Wh- why? Why? What? Explain to me Dirt. how this makes any sense within the lore that we've already seen of how this Assassin's Table Guild thing works. There's no explanation. It is the stupidest fucking thing. I I don't even think he was given a direction to walk in. They just said, walk in the desert until you're about to collapse. Walk Then walk some more. And somehow, if he wants, he'll magically find you (laughs) in a desert or you'll die. Right. I mean... Literally nothing about that makes sense on any level no, whatsoever. I I don't understand what the writers were thinking. I don't know. Because I think, quite honestly, they wrote themselves into a hole 
getting John Wick excommunicado at the end of number yeah, two. They did. That was a hole that even John Wick couldn't dig himself out of. No. Uh, without some exterior help. And I suppose he's getting help along the way in the first two movies too. But it's really tertiary. But here, literally, he gets fined by a dude. John doesn't want to die because he wants to continue to live so he can remember his wife. And in order for him to do that, he needs to be brought back into the assassin fold. Uh, a, a fold that he left to be with his wife. Right. To gain the memories of his wife, he left this life behind. To create a better life <laughs> with his wife. What? I did not... Why? <laughs> what the fuck? This, it's so stupid. I did not buy at all that John would go back with them. No. There no, was so much hesitation through the entire first two films right. of him coming back, even to, you know, getting pissed and avenging his wife's dog or whatever the fuck the... I mean, granted, the original premise is weak. Right. But it worked somehow. It worked. And and so, the, so they bring but, him back with 45 minutes left in this film. At, I got, right? At least. I yeah. don't know how long this movie is. Yeah. They bring him back. They send him back to the fucking New York... He somehow revived. I don't know what the trip from Morocco to New York is, but he's he's fine somehow after fully being, fine. Yep, fully being in the moved. desert for Christ knows how long. Maybe like two hours <laughs> for all we fucking know. He gets suited up and goes back to New York to kill to kill what's his, what's his Winston, I think his yeah, name is Winston, his buddy, yeah. the the manager of the hotel who's getting fired. Yeah. Now, what I don't understand is so why did then. Um, the the bald guy, the bald Asian dude, and his, uh, his entourage. Why did they continue to attack John? Didn't everyone know John was working? Because like the uh, the ad- adjudicator, whatever her name, yeah, was, adjudicator. She yeah. she under she knew that John was there to kill Winston. So and uh, the bald guy is working under her under her direction. So why she, why are yeah, they exactly. still attacking him? I I don't know. I mean, I have a guess, but it's it's not a guess based on really the film. It's it's that that guy is like a John Wick fanboy and sees that fighting John Wick is the old, like best way to prove that he's awesome. Okay, but that's a guess. Like the film okay. doesn't explicitly no, tell doesn't. you that. You know, um, I I mean, I liked him for the most part, but he got way over the top. He got hammy. Yes, he got like he cheesy he hammy and almost like out of nowhere because when you first see him. Yeah. You don't think he's going to be like that. No. He's like, like tough. He's like quiet. He's like, yes, from? I shall accept the job. Um, so, well, when John got back into New York, you, did you notice that when they were on the motorcycles, um, the bald guy put his helmet, put a helmet on. So he was, he could not be differentiated between any other guys on motorcycles. Mm. So as soon as he did that, I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to be left with one motorcyclist. He's going to pull the helmet off. And it's going to be him. Because they craft again, they crafted a scene that they probably thought, well, hey, this could be really cool because we got to ramp up the action because this is the third film. They crafted a scene where there was no real conf- conflict between the ball guy and John that could result in the ball guy surviving that conflict. Right. As they're racing on these motorcycles, swinging swords at each other. So instead, they made all of them faceless. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't matter where he was. You could lose track of him. It didn't matter where he was as long as one survived. Yeah. It's poorly stupid. crafted. Very poorly crafted. And frustrating. 
just it's it's just oh it was frustrating i even found the whole final fight that i alluded to before where it's the bald asian guy and his you know best troops or whatever yeah fighting john wick in this room we'd never seen before that's like randomly all made of glass with tons of glass like museum cases around yeah which just exists to be smashed for a fight scene it's like in which every single one got smashed yeah by john getting thrown through it yeah literally so okay that was also frustrating because like john was getting his ass kicked mm-hmm. and he did not die because these two guys are also fans of john wick exactly um but then suddenly john wick has anything in his hands and he's proficient with with it and you know they don't stand a chance yeah i, I didn't understand it i, so, I don't so understand he i hated that fight i hated it that was fight. really fucking bad the final showdown between john and, and baldy was okay yeah um it was just like weird because we got a bunch of like people were like bamfing and they were like ninja disappearing yeah. That was weird. I, I don't and know. The, and that whole fight, like, that's... So, by that point, Baldy was over the top. Yeah. And so, I mean, he stabbed through his fucking heart with a samurai sword. And he's like, yeah, John, I'll catch up with you. Yeah. And John's like, no, you won't. I'm like, really? Like, is this what, what the climax of a John Wick film has come down to? Yeah. The guy stabbed with a sword sticking out his other side saying, like, yeah, hey, buddy, I'll catch up with you. But... No, you won't. Surprise, viewer. That's not the climax. Oh, there's yeah. still another 30 minutes of this episode, this fucking movie. Like, literally. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it won't end. It won't die. <laughs> it just like stop. John Wick. It won't die. It did die. not stop. Okay. I also have another question. Okay. Why do the rules of no killing apply to someone that is excommunicated in the hotel? Yeah. Why? That makes zero sense. So that means someone in the hotel can go on a killing spree in those hotels. Suffer the consequences of being excommunicated and, and hunted, but they could not, like, then, under those guidelines, someone could not defend themselves in that hotel from this murderer and kill them without being excommunicated. Yeah. That, that doesn't make no sense. Any that doesn't make fucking any sense. sense whatsoever. Whatsoever. See, this is why they did not need that whole motorcycle scene. That entire thing could have been cut out. Mm-hmm. And Baldish could have escorted John to the hotel. Knowing that he was John was there to do a job, and then when John fails to do the job, he, the the adjudicator woman steps in and tells him to go kill John. Right? Why did that whole sequence need to exist? It didn't. It's just because Keanu Reeves looks cool on a motorcycle. He actually <laughs> knows how to drive one, so let's throw it in the show. And you think I'm joking? But a lot of the articles that I read basically say, yeah, now we're just building them around cool stuff that Keanu can do. Right. And so he can ride a motorcycle. He can ride a horse. So that's why we got the horse fight scene. That actually kind of was a cool chase in the stables. It was. I like Um, how he was, like, using the horses to kick people by slapping their... I think, again, he did that one too many times. Right. I think, like, he he just did it one. One time would have been fine. Yeah. But he's basically using the horses like gun turrets with their rear ends. Like, (laughs) directing them around and then, like, kick now. Move, 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 kick, move, kick. Perfectly catching... Perfectly catching. The kicked person in the face. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, if he had done it once or twice, it would have been funny. But he does it like, you know, five, six, seven times. Yeah. And it's like, uh. So I, <sighs> I thought this movie was going to end with John. Because, again, I knew, I had heard going into it that this was not the final movie. There is a fourth one. So I knew it was going to be some type of setup at the end of it. 
So I thought the movie was going to end with the assault on the hotel. Like that was right. like it was going to we wouldn't see that. And it was going to be okay. Now John is now John is against the table, like full in against the table. Um because I think even him not deciding to kill his friend was enough to be like, okay, well, now he's suffering the consequence because the the table is for sure going to kill him. Right. But no, then we get another 30 minutes of of this this gun these gunfights against armored opponents where regular calibers aren't doing anything so the fight is extended yes um again that i don't understand that's pointless yeah it's pointless and like it's- literally we had a scene we had a, sh- a a cliche scene of armored uh more advanced weaponed and armored group gunning down a lesser advanced and armored uh, armored and weaponed right. group all of the the security of the hotel, except for the one dude, the concierge, yeah. got gunned down. Uh, yeah, because they were wearing like that is so sticky. That is so stupid. Yeah, that is so stupid. It was just to wipe them out. It literally so that was. John Wick and his handpicked surviving friends yeah. can then grab deer slugs and have another battle against the exact same guys. Mm-hmm. Except then they win because now they have deer slug. And it's like. Doesn't make no, you just did the f- same fight back to back, with the first fight being useless just to kind of clear. You know, room you, out. you know what makes that fine is we don't see John out there failing to shoot bull his his regular nine mil bullets bouncing off. We first see those hotel uh, guards um, go out there and get gunned down, and they see and witness that they are they need this higher caliber, and then we get John. And the concierge out there fighting. We don't need two different parts of them fighting the yeah, same people. Yeah, exactly. Like, like clean this up. Clean this movie up. Who edited this movie? Who's? I don't know. I don't know. This movie just appears the to be... The more we're talking about this movie, the less I fucking like it. Like, this movie I is know. dipping below mediocre for me now. Like, ah, oh, man. I'm it, talking it's myself just out a of bunch of, Well, yeah. It's just a bunch of action pieces. Many of which are unnecessarily yeah. long or stupid. Slapped together with the weakest dramatic glue mm-hmm. that you could ever think about. And it's like, you know, making a brick wall of a house, but the mortar can't set and it's too liquidy and the bricks are falling off. <laughs> and it's just like, they didn't build anything here. Yeah. They didn't do anything they, with this two hours. Did not build anything is the perfect summation of this movie because the entire movie, they were cutting everything down. Right. They, they were... so. I I think what they were going for was this with this movie was that this movie was the consequences of all the shit from the first two. Everybody who helped John now getting punished. Like, why do they need to cut up Morpheus? Morpheus helped John before he was excommunicated. I don't understand why is he getting great point. Why is he getting vacated from the Bowery? That is a great point. At least the manager, like they, like yeah, he. He knew he was. He gave him an hour head start to run away, knowing that he had uh, violated the, these the hotel rules and was going to be excommunicated. Why did Why did Morpheus get punished? I don't. Am I just not remembering? Well, something? and why did he get punished so little? So, uh, his entire people, his entire staff. Got no, okay, never mind. Killed. I was going to go a different direction with that. I was thinking to the doctor who helps John and suddenly has to stop. And then I, I just remembered, though, that John doesn't kill him. I thought that John no, didn't kill no, him. No, John does not kill, kill him. He just him. put a couple bullets. Just put him. a couple bullets to make it look like it was a struggle. Yeah. Which, I like that. I, that was cool. I thought the doctor was cool. 
but I I don't know, man. Like the move, this ending, the ending of this movie just sucked. And then yeah. so we finally get <laughs> they kill all of the the tables armed goons, and then we get this parlay, and Winston betrays John. Yeah, pretty much. Now, what I can't tell is, did he betray him knowing he wasn't going to kill him? So Winston right. suddenly starts shooting at John, but you can tell that the bullets are bouncing off him. So it's like he had bulletproof armor underneath his suit or something. He must have. And then well, so he's got a bulletproof suit. He, like he literally, bulletproof his suit, suit is. Oh, okay. like we've seen that before. Like right, because Hallie even shoots him. Uh, okay, she right, meets right, right, right. And okay, he's I got about that. But though he did change garments, I'm assuming that the well, new suit he, that the 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 desert. Uh, wizard gave him is also bulletproof yeah and, and winston also does though shoot him off a roof which yes, makes so, me think that yes yeah. he did intend to kill him and i don't know man it's very ambiguous it, it is very ambiguous and it's because until now winston's been his friend yes. and it's it's weird too it's like the high table's basically like oh by killing our entire wave of elite troops you were just showing your strong you're strong welcome back to the head table and winston's like okay and it's done yeah i'm like that's not how fighting the mafia works or whatever you don't get to wipe out an elite group of troops and then the mafia bosses are like oh okay yeah you're strong hey come back back. it's like that's not how punishment injustice works so uh, and the problem with the ambiguity of this you know quote-unquote betrayal is if we knew it was a betrayal then that should affect the audience because Winston, through all until that point, so through like three movies, he's a likable character. Because if <laughs> we are on board with John, then then we're on board with people helping John. Right. So that betrayal does not impact the audience because we don't know if it's a betrayal. And I feel right. I feel like they purposely left made it ambiguous. Like I don't think we're missing something. I think that was intentional. And it's almost like it's to give them more freedom in writing John Wick number four. Like, do we make Winston the bad guy or is he the good guy again? Right. Well, we'll just decide later. That's so weird. Because, like, the concierge afterwards, he kind of looks over. Looks over, sees, you know, after John falls on the roof. Well played, sir. It's like, okay, is that well played because Winston saved his own ass? And by extension, yours? Well, maybe not so much that. but Or well played that, okay, you got John out of this situation that... He had no way of getting out of because, yeah, Winston had a deal and was offered a deal, but they still had no idea what they were going to do with John. Right. Right. I, I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. It's the best way of saying it. I don't know. So, whew. well, let's review this thing and get right. it over and done with. Uh, what are you going to give it? Uh, I think I'm giving this a five. Hmm. <laughs> That's the lowest rating I've ever given on this podcast or something. I'm going to give him my lowest rating too, uh, which is 5.5. Because <laughs> coming from me, that's pretty bad. That is that's very that's low. That's pretty bad. Uh, this is a movie that I don't think I'll see again. I will not even no. see this movie to get myself ready for John Wick 4 Hell in a few no. years. I don't want to buy it. I'm not, I don't want to see it on streaming. Um, I, I was disappointed. Yeah, me too. I was very disappointed to the point that I really didn't enjoy the movie that much. And that the the bad thing for me is when I'm in the middle of a movie and I'm like thinking to myself, this is boring. This is bad. <laughs> a lot of bad movies, I have fun when I see them and it takes me a little bit to process it like driving home. But then 
this movie was not like that. Right. This movie is a rare movie where I'm like, I'm in it and I'm not having fun at points and it's bad and it's going on too long. So yeah. that's why. Um, Honestly, be- before we start talking about it, I gut feeling had this at like a six. Mm. But I, I really like we talked it right down to a five for me. Like, honestly, this movie is 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 average. It's not even above average. No, it is strictly average. Yes. I feel like my ratings, the the lower they are, the closer in relation that score gets to your lower ratings. Possibly. Right. Yeah. Whereas the higher we go, the the more the the, the, the equivalent. Disparity. Yeah. The, the equivalent. Like, you know, my eight could be your nine or whatever. Right. Whereas a five and a five and a half is pretty fucking bad. That's it's very bad for bad. this franchise. Yeah. I agree. But I stand by that. I stand by that review. Yeah, this movie sucks. Like, literally, it's not even worth seeing. No, it's, it's not. It's not even worth seeing. It's not It's not worth seeing. Honestly, listener, you could probably jump straight from two to four. And Maybe, you're yeah. not going to miss that much. All you're going to miss is that, okay, he's turned on the Continental and the high table. That's that's all you need to right. know. We just told you all you need to know. You can skip the third film. <laughs> where, are we, where are we joking driving back that uh, John Wick 4 is going to turn out to be the, the new Matrix movie? Yes, <laughs> we were. going to be Matrix it's 4. It's going to be like, he'll be Neo. Because we got he'll... Neo we got Neo and Morpheus. We got the band back together. We just need Trinity. We just need Trinity. Bada bing, bada boom. Meet my Fuck. new assassin, Trinity. Just even keep her name the same. <laughs> <laughs> Not even trying to fucking hide it. <laughs> Oh, well, I guess that, that wraps it up there. So, yeah. end, of uh, end of show? Okay, end of show stuff. Uh, you can see our show notes, uh, written content, ttpopcast.com. We, uh, we're on Podbean, we're on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, all the podcast apps of your choosing. I've been Leland Steele. I've been Moby. Thanks, listener. <laughs> no, you say take care. I, yeah, but I can't just go right into take care, listener. Why not? I, I that just sounds weird. Unless I, I end it. with thanks. I always end with thanks. Yeah, fine. I'll do. I'll keep doing with my take care. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye bye. <laughs>